I have been genuinely surprised about the fear and terror that AI has been causing in people's hearts. I've even had friends call me and say they're worried about losing their jobs. They're worried about how it's going to destroy humanity. AI is taking over and every other professional is, is worried about their jobs. Worried about the fact that how they're going to cope with the, with the, uh, with the times that are coming. It's a genuine surprise to me because these are early adopters. These are people that have always embraced new tech. They've always been, they've always been excited about new technology and those kind of things. So it really surprises me that this group of people is worried about AI. Of course, there are a lot of people that are excited about it, but this is the first time that I've seen the early adopter group be afraid of new technology. In the past, we've had um, so many technology cycles. We've had the telephone come to the homes. We've had mobile phones. We've had internet. We've had e-commerce. In all of these things, I've always seen two groups of people. On the one hand, you have the early adopters that are very excited about this new technology. They can only see the good in it. They can't wait to embrace it. And then on the other hand, you have a group of people that are resistant they can only see the bad in it. They're cynical of it, but they also know that they're, going, they're not going to have any choice but to accept this new tech. This is the first time that I've seen fear on both sides instead of the two groups. So the question is, where is this fear actually coming from? And I think the answer to that is the same as it always is, unfortunately. It's mainstream media. Um, and when I, when I refer to mainstream media, that also encompasses, um, you know, things like Hollywood, um, media in terms of entertainment as well. And I think we've got two parts, two aspects to that. We've got mainstream journalism. So I'm not talking about tech journalists here, but mainstream journalists who generally don't seem to understand the technologies that they're writing about, unfortunately. Um, uh, but they, these people are hired to write because they're good at writing, they're good at reporting, but they don't necessarily understand the technology. Um, and unfortunately, when it comes to media, sensationalism sells, so does drama. Um, and so both sides of the coin often get overhyped or overgenerated. So on the one hand, you have fear that gets overly generated. And, and we've seen this before. So we saw this with the Y2K bug with the millennium bug at the turn of the millennium. We were told uh, civilization was going to end. People wouldn't be able to get treatment in hospitals because the machines wouldn't work. All the machines would shut down. Electricity would shut down. I think people forget how bad the hysteria actually was. And it was global. Um, and, and that was generated by the mainstream media. I remember where I was sat on the eve of the millennium. I was actually fixing somebody's computer at 10, 11 o'clock at night, I was just waiting for catastrophe to strike. And the clock strike 12 and nothing happened. Like any of the drama that had been generated, any of the fear or terror that had been generated didn't come to pass. So we've seen that before. Then there was all this fear and, and hysteria about the I love you virus, which people probably don't remember anymore. And again, we were told it was going to take over all corporate email servers. It was going to bring everything down with it. And at the end of the day, it was a nuisance. It was inconvenient, as was the Y2K bug. It, it did take a lot of effort, but it didn't end society. It didn't end civilization. It, it didn't cause any catastrophes of any kind that I remember.
And so, you know, life has gone on. But I think with Hollywood, uh, that thing gets exacerbated a lot more. But the thing that you have to understand with Hollywood is there is creative license. There are certain things that are used. There are certain devices that are used in a plot or in the two, in the story that um, probably wouldn't apply in the real world. And that gives the story its credence inside, you know, inside that medium. It makes the story work. Um, but the reality is, in the real world, um, it probably wouldn't. Um, work so you know if you just the typical example obviously is something like Terminator 2 with Skynet about how it just takes over everything and these robots take over the world that story is heavily dependent on a power source that can continue for a very very long time so a robot can be powered by something for a very very long time and for that power source to be um compact and portable we don't have anything like that right now you can't power a humanoid robot for probably more than a day as things stand at the moment so if worse comes to worse if that thing becomes sentient um just switch the power off and that's it it's over so until we get a power source that um is really powerful you know th that i can hold in the palm of my hand um, that can power a complete life-size robot for, let's say, even a week, then there is something to worry about. But until then, the chances of that happening are, are, are very, very slim. But like I said, it is the uh, mainstream media and Hollywood that, that creates a lot of these uh, fears. You have movies like iRobot, um, you know, dystopian movies, but they're, the des they're designed to create that sensationalism. They're designed to create that drama. But in real life, do those things come together? Are those things going to be in place? Right now, I don't think so. So then there's the fear of the jobs. And you then have to go back again, look at the previous technology cycles, look at those again and say, what's been happening in the past? There was a huge amount of fear that was generated around uh, telephones when they were coming into homes because you had uh, a lot of people, it was mostly women that were working in uh, um, at the switchboards that used to actually physically connect uh, calls, especially if you were making international calls, you would, you would call somebody, you would call the operator and then you would say, um, can you connect me to so-and-so? And then those switchboards got um, automated. And so switchboard operators lost their jobs. And, you know, there's been this worry about how every technology cycle is going to cause people to lose their jobs because what you actually get and what is actually happening with artificial intelligence is automation. You get the next wave, the next level of automation. Um, and there was that worry. But the thing that you have to think about or understand is that with even when the switchboard operators lost their jobs and the telephones came into homes by the time we got to mobile phones we had a whole host of new jobs that were created because it was a completely new category of tech so you now had um, jobs for customer service you had jobs that were created for app developers that didn't exist before jobs for people that were in working in all of the apps just to create customer service for all of the apps um, there were jobs created for people working on uh, mobile phone masts on uh, wi-fi so what ai does it creates a displacement of jobs it doesn't create a replacement of jobs it just displaces one set of jobs for another and the thing that you have to remember is 
right now, where we are sitting right now, we can't necessarily predict what kind of jobs are going to be created. And I think that's what creates the fear. That's where people think, okay, my job's gone. And then there's no kind of vision of the future because we don't, we don't know what that reality is going to look like just yet. I don't think when telephones came into the home, I don't think people were really thinking about mobile phones necessarily. I don't think people knew what the possibilities of that could have been. I don't think somebody in 1980 could have predicted what WhatsApp is able to do for us today or what Zoom is able to do for us today or what... Um, Skype or Snapchat or Instagram or any of these things are able to do for us today in terms of the communication that takes place from one person sat in London to another person sat in Tokyo. But that has created a whole ecosystem around it and it's created new opportunities around it. It's created new jobs around it. So you have the worry about jobs. You have the worry about this thing becoming sentient. Um, this thing taking over our lives and ending humanity as we know it. I think the best way to actually predict what is going to happen in the future to get a, a really good kind of benchmark or barometer of what's coming in the future, you really have to have a look at the past. What has been the driving force of this technology or the, these technology cycles? How has that technology been used in society? How has society adapted to technology? Corporations, how have they used that technology? And how, is it, how has that technology been of service to humanity in general? And I think if we're going to do that, if we're going to ask ourselves that question and look at what's going to happen in the future, by looking at the past, then you have to look at what has been common to all of this. What has been, not the driving force of technology itself. I think technology is a natural, um, it's just a natural evolution. But what has been kind of governing how that technology is being used and how we interact with that technology? And as far as I'm concerned, that has been capitalism. Capitalism has been funding those technology advances so far. It has been, you could even say, dictating how we interact with that technology. And it has also been telling us, it has also been creating the narrative around what that technology uh, can do for us and how we should, uh, what our relationship with that technology should look like. And so I think you can use that to extrapolate what's going to happen in the future by looking at the past. So what has happened in the past in terms of answering those questions? Well, the key thing is corporations exist primarily for profit. They exist to make money. And number two, they do everything in the interest of self-preservation at the cost of everything else. If we look at technology companies, how they've behaved in the past, if we look at how they've been behaving right now, that tells us a lot. The one key thing that I see when where capitalism is concerned is the corporations or the capitalists are only looking at how can they make profit from this technology. It's not about genuine utility or creating genuine meaning or creating genuine service to the individual. It's how can this technology be used to create profit for ourselves. And in doing that, they don't actually necessarily create the most progressive technology. They don't actually drive innovation as far as it can actually go. They also don't collaborate with other companies. They actually behave in very cannibalistic ways. They cannibalize each other. The owners of Tinder and Hinge have just sued us for the third time. They're trying to shut us down. 
They've already pretty much got a monopoly in the whole dating world and they tried to buy us three times. After they couldn't acquire us, they bought these guys, Hawaii, and about a month ago they shut them down. So after they failed to acquire us, then they decided to sue us. Kind of obvious, these guys just want to bury us with legal fees, just slow us down and try and kill us. And there's loads of, lots and lots of um, examples of that over the last three, four, five different decades, um, several decades. There's, there's lots of those examples to see where you had a technology that was really, really good and then it disappeared because it got cannibalized because a bigger company um, was threatened by its existence and they did everything that they could do to quash it. We've had technology that has existed for a very long time to power electric cars, but electric cars have only come to the fore right now when the capitalists can actually do something useful with that. Now that they can actually control the electric, the, the electric cars, they can get access to them and they can, they can see what's going on with them. And they can see a, a path that doesn't threaten their existence. They're now letting the electro, electric cars come to the fore. But that technology has existed for a very long time. It's just a battery driving a car. Um, the advances in fuel technology have actually come much, much later. Batteries existed for very long and you, you could have been driving cars that are battery operated uh, quite a long time ago. Yes, some of the future advances, some of the stuff that we're seeing right now, like touch screens inside the car and all those kind of things, obviously there are new developments, but the core technology has existed for a long time. So has the technology to, to be able to drive cars on water and other fuel sources. But their existence threatens the existing corporates. And that's the problem with technology. The best technology and the most innovation will not be allowed to come to the fore unless there is profit in it. We have seen that, we are seeing it. We've seen other technology. A lot of people won't remember, but the, there was a battle between VHS and Betamax. And Betamax was arguably the better technology, but the, in the end, VHS won because of how the capitalists behaved around that and how they were able to play a better game in making sure that their, their technology is here to stay. Record up to six hours on T120 VHS cassettes from Polaroid or Sony. I can record a lot of programs at these prices. Just looking at the technology in isolation, it wasn't the best tech that was out there. And then just how corporations, how these tech companies, how they try and cannibalize each other right now, I'm using a Panasonic camera and I can't take the lens off this camera and put it on a Canon camera. I have another couple of cameras here. I can't interchange those uh, lenses, even though they're ultimately, they're effectively doing the same thing. I can't take the battery out of this camera and put it into another camera because these companies, they, they create, they're trying to create vendor, vendor lock-in. Uh, and just yesterday I was having a conversation with a group of guys and we were talking about planned ob obsolescence, about how these days, you know, your fridge or your TV or your vacuum, it just doesn't last as long as it used to because there's no profit in it for them. They want you to keep buying from them. They want you to keep spending money with them. Uh, they don't want you to spend money with somebody else. So that actually limits innovation. It limits uh, how far that tech can actually go. And I don't think AI is, I don't think artificial intelligence is, um, immune to any of that behavior at all. In fact, everything that I'm seeing about AI coming out right now, it's about how they can profit from it. It's about how they can get you to buy their service. Um, all the services that are coming out right now, it's about, you know, are you willing to buy our service and how much can we charge you for it? And, and look, these are the promises that this AI is making. And I, I think that is probably going to be 
in terms of the technology, I think it will be useful. I think um, some of the things that I've been able to use AI for just in the last couple of weeks, just being able to write better tweets and things, I think that's genuinely useful. But what I also think is that going back again to capitalism is that there are always things that are put into society, put into place that are designed to create a divide. And the rich always benefit. If you're rich, you can fly in comfort from London to New York because you can go on business class or even first class. And you get all of these luxuries and you get all of these creature comforts. You get a whole seat to yourself. You get a whole host of uh, amenities and things that are not available to you if, if you don't have that kind of money. Um, and we see that in, in, in all different places. If, if you have money, you can buy a passport or you can buy your way into residency into another country. Whereas people like you and me, the average Joe, can't afford to do that. And I think all of this automation that's coming with artificial intelligence and in how it's going to make our lives easier and better, um, I think it will be abstracted away from us. So if you have money, then you can use these tools to make your life easier, to, to write a letter, to write an email, to uh, generate artwork, to automate things in your home, just every part of your life to actually make your life easier. I think those things um, will only be available to the elite, will only be available to you if you have money. And I think that's where AI is actually going to go for, for the most part as in it won't be accessible to us. So I I don't think there's anything to fear with AI in terms of losing our jobs or it causing a collapse to society. Like I said already, I think we're, I don't think we're there yet in terms of what the technology can do. And I don't think it will ever be allowed to get to that point. Not because that's what the capitalists don't want. I just don't, I just think because of the way that they cannibalize each other and the way that they're focusing on profit, I don't think that will allow the technology to get to that point, but it will be able to go as far as being able to make our lives easier and probably will create a lot of new jobs for us. So I don't think um, it's becoming sentient anytime soon. I think if we do get an economic collapse or civilization ends in some way, and, and unfortunately, I don't like rather it's not that I don't like talking about it but I think people don't really like having this conversation so I try not to talk about it too much at least publicly but we are nearing very rapidly a banking crisis and an economic crisis a very severe one something like something that we probably have never seen before and I think all of this fear that's being generated in the news to say well they're stopping AI from doing any training the models anymore because they don't want it to get too powerful or it's kind of running away with itself. I think that is really being, that narrative is being built so that when we get this banking collapse or when we get this economic collapse, which really is just because of uh, the banking system itself, it's not, it's not anything to do with anything else. I think at that point, it's very convenient to be able to blame AI and say, well, this, this thing just became sentient and it, it developed a mind of its own and this is what wrecked everything. It just took over everything. And they're using so many different things. They want to blame Russia. They want to blame China. They want to blame computer viruses. They want to blame climate disasters. All these kind of things, all of these scapegoats are being built up. The narratives are being built up so that they can then say it was all, it was all of these things as to why we've had this collapse. When in reality, it was just the banking system itself. It, it was bound to collapse. That's just the nature of the system. It, it's actually very fragile. It's very weak. I'm surprised it's lasted this long, if I'm really honest with you. 
but it it had to collapse on its own anyway. It had to come to an end. But that's just how people behave when you made such a big mistake, such a grand mistake. You try and find excuses to blame somebody else or blame something or someone. You don't want to admit it to yourself. And unfortunately, we have narcissists that are ruling the world and they're not going to take that blame. They're going to try and blame something else. Blame immigration, blame the brown people, blame the other, this thing. That's just how it goes. So yeah, I think that's where ultimately where AI is headed. The only thing that I'm really nervous about where AI is concerned is deep fakes. It's how much we can be deceived by somebody being able to copy my voice and then pass it off as mine and then that being used as testimony when it's not something that I did or where we see an image, a video, and we think that's the reality because it got recorded by a phone, but it actually was generated by AI. That That's what makes me nervous. If you've seen this uh, TV series called Capture, uh, it's on BBC iPlayer. I think it's two seasons. That is a very scary uh, reality that we're already living in. Deep fakes, you know, being able to imitate somebody else's voice, being able to uh, create, imitate their face, and that being able to do things. And I think that is quite rapidly getting to a point where it's going to be in the hands of a lot of people and uh, and it's going to be hand in the hands of people that don't necessarily have good intentions i am not morgan freeman and what you see is not real and that is scary that is dangerous because you can only imagine what that can that can lead to but what i will say to that is it's not like we haven't been lied to before where testimonies haven't been faked. It's not as if, um, you know, we haven't been deceived before by uh, certain images or certain media narratives. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not as if those things haven't happened before. We already live in that reality. We have been lied to many times. We've been deceived by it with so many things. And that happens every day. There's so many frauds, there's so many scams at state levels, at local levels. And I think the only thing that AI is really going to do is going to amplify that, it's going to accelerate that. And that is still scary. But at the end of the day, we, what I'm counting on, what I'm hoping on, what I'm hoping for is that actually, and this might sound counterintuitive, it might sound very negative, but what I'm hoping for is that our trust in, the, in technology and in what we see on the screen and in what is being presented to us, that that decreases. And I know it's decreasing already, especially like if you look at like the dating world, you know, this whole thing about like catfishing and how people are taking photos with certain angles and people are using filters and all of this kind of stuff. It's forcing people away from that technology. I think we're going to come go back to a time where people are going to only want to meet somebody in person because they just won't be able to rely on what they see on, on their phones, the picture, the video. If you've seen this movie called Love Hard, which was a Christmas movie that came out about two years ago, I think it was. Really, there's only one con. What? You've never seen him. Natalie? Uh it really is, uh, um, it's quite phenomenal how far that can actually go. And that's not even using AI yet. So that could get a lot scarier, but it's when you meet that person in person that you can actually trust what you see in front of you. So I, I think, that growing distrust is a good thing. 
And I think that will increase. If you look at what's happened in technology cycles before, everybody was excited about their phones when they first got them. We would answer every call. We would answer every email. And now we're at the point where we're just disenchanted with that. I don't. I and so many other people that I know, they don't answer an, a call when, when there's a number they don't recognize. Our phones are not on loud all the time anymore. They're on silent. We just learn to switch notifications off. I don't check my email straight away. I don't reply to every single email immediately. As a society, we just learn to adapt to what's in front of us. And I'm hoping that we can get to a, a point where we can learn to distrust what we see on screen. I think that will be a really good thing because then it's not as easy to lie to us. It's not as easy to deceive us. And we are living in a world of so much constant deception in so many different ways. I think it will be a good thing um, if we learn to distrust that. If you have any questions about the content or the subject matter, the things that I've discussed in this video, please sign up to my Discord. The link is in the description below. It's a small app that you can use, very similar to how chat groups used to work before. You can be anywhere in the world and sign up for it. All you have to do is, is sign up via Patreon, which will then give you access to the Discord app. It is a like-minded community of other people that are talking about the same things but we can just speak openly to each other. You might have some questions of your own or you might have some insight of your own. Come and talk to me, come and talk to others. We can share ideas with each other and we, and we can grow as a community.